Good morning. You know, in a lot of ways, I'm not surprised to find myself here. You know, when I was a little kid, I would run up before or after the service and stand in the pulpit and pretend to be a preacher. And my dad was a preacher, a pastor in the Lutheran church. And I remember one time his boss was at the service and I'd run up in the pulpit and he'd taken a picture of me and it had said future pastor. I don't know, maybe, but I'm happy to be here this morning uh, helping out with the preaching. The title for the message this morning is Jesus Achieved Everything So That You Don't Have To. I want to start by introducing myself a little better. I wanted to update my church family on where I've been and what I've been up to in the last while because of COVID and because of university studies. I haven't been around as much. But I was thinking, and I didn't want to take up a whole chunk of the message if it wasn't going to actually help the main point, but God provides. And it turns out that after my introduction, it's a great segue into our New Testament reading where Paul has a lot to say about himself. So I'm going to start there this morning. I'm going to introduce myself, then we're going to take a look at Paul in the New Testament reading, and then we're going to spend most of our time in the New Testament reading this morning, but I will also jump into uh, some of the other readings a little bit. Introduction. What have I been up to the last several years? Well, going all the way back to 2013, I went to Ambrose University to take a bachelor's degree. And I took a bachelor's degree in theology. And the one thing I learned about theology very quickly was that most people have no idea what that is. And so I quickly started saying church ministry or pastoral ministry, because then people were like, oh, I understand now. Anyways, I did a degree in theology at Ambrose University. Uh, that took me from 2013 to 2018. Uh, I did a practicum over uh, with our friends at Trinity Bible Church. And then I also did an internship at a church in downtown Calgary. And coming out of that internship especially, I really felt like God was not calling me to go into full-time ministry, at least right now. I could see it down the road, but not right now. So that was a, a bit of a surprise for me. But I did know I wanted to do a master's degree. So during my last year in 2018, I really wrestled with whether I wanted to go to seminary and do another like theology degree or if I wanted to do business. In the end, long story short, I decided to do business. And so I took one year off, barely. And then I started uh, my degree uh, with Trinity Western University uh, over in Langley, just outside of Vancouver. Started that in 2019. And uh, I'm about to take my final course in three weeks. Uh, and that'll be the end of my MBA. And I'll have finished my university days. But boy, are we going to have a lot of work this summer. Who am I going to be writing? Uh, also kind of importantly, alongside Trinity Western, before COVID, I would drive into Calgary and volunteer with a friend and her family at an old folks home once a month. And we would do a little church service and we would sing songs because we were in the choir at university. And so we would sing, uh, gave me a chance to do some speaking. I could do like a little 10 minute message. 
uh, and also leading them in some time of prayer. So the Old Folks Ministry and Trinity Western um, were kind of the major things that I was doing pre-COVID. And of course, my studies at Trinity Western continued online through COVID. Uh, you may also know me or recognize me from my work at Nutter's, the health food store here in Canmore. And um, yep, I've been working the family business there for almost the past 20 years, which has been amazing. And that's a big part of the reason for the business degree. You may also have seen me at the swimming pool, where I still go a couple times a week to stay fit and healthy, but I did coach swimming for 10 years from 20, 2009 to 2019, uh, and then COVID kind of brought it to an end, but it was good timing anyways with my master's degree. So looking back over my 20s, which is basically what we just did, I can see in retrospect they were extremely successful. I did a lot of great things. I achieved a lot. As a typical 20-something person, I would also say I had a desire to be great. A great student, a great friend, a great family member, a great swim coach, a great coworker. And I dreamed, and still dream, of living a great life, having a great career, maybe having a great family of my own someday. And in our New Testament reading, we see an example of someone else who had a life marked by tremendous achievement and was in every way, in his context and in his day, great. St. Paul's words in the New Testament reading will form the core of this message. <clears throat> so let's dive in. Paul, the man with the dream resume. I want to take a look at verse uh, 4. And I'll read it again for you so it's fresh in your mind. Paul says this, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And I want to explain a little bit why Paul's resume is so impressive so we understand the context, and then we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff as well. In terms of human achievement, Paul had every reason to have maximum confidence that he was righteous. Or to put it in today's words, he had every reason to believe that he was good. He was circumcised on the eighth day, and a member of the people of Israel, circumcision <clears throat> was the mark of the covenant that distinguished God's people as a member of covenant relationship with him. They were God's chosen people. God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis that he would be the father of a great nation, so great that the stars in the sky couldn't adequately number them. And from this nation, the whole world was going to be blessed. So in the course of time, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob was eventually renamed Israel. And Israel had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And when Paul says he was circumcised on the eighth day, he's saying, I am a member of this covenant chosen people. In terms of my pedigree, I was born in the most prestigious place that you could imagine as a member of God's people. 
And it's interesting what he says here. Not only was he Abraham's descendant, he goes even further and says he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And I thought to myself, why would he go this far? And especially at this point in history, the tribes of Israel have basically been lost to history. A few hundred years ago, when the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria, and then not long after, the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon, both both nations essentially disappeared from history. Yes, Israelites did return from Persia eventually, but they weren't really distinguished by tribe anymore. They had become one people. So at this point, when Paul says he's a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, I think what he's saying is, I'm not just an Israelite, a member of God's covenant people, but my roots run deep. You know, he is a Jew of Jews, an Israelite of Israelites. He's saying, you cannot be more uh, Jewish than I am. So he's the cream of the crop. And not only is his pedigree and heritage cream of the crop, his work was cream of the crop too. He was a Pharisee. He was a top religious guy, like saying he was a pastor or a bishop or a priest. Now, I think we tend to look a little negatively on Pharisees because of their interactions with Jesus in the New Testament. But really what he's saying is that he was a top religious guy. In fact, he was so committed to his ways, he went so far as to kill other people and persecute other religious movements. And notice that he says he was blameless. Now, you might think that's a bit of an exaggeration to say he was blameless, that he kept all of God's laws and rules to the letter. But the Pharisees were known for this. So it's not unreasonable for Paul to say that he kept the law to the letter. And this would have been a source of great pride and confidence for him in that day. So as a Jewish man in that day, Paul had achieved everything possible. He had the dream resume. Much like in my own introduction, I kind of wanted to say it and phrase it in a way that made it seem really great, like I had the dream resume, so that I could compare and contrast it with Paul's dream resume here. And in our society today, like me, like Paul, we put tremendous weight on our achievements. We have to have them. I remember when I was at university feeling a great deal of pressure and hearing a lot about having the perfect resume so that you could secure a job coming out of university. And you got to get those achievements on that resume. You got to have the right volunteer experience. You've got to have the right degree. You've got to have the right grades. You've got to have the right um, work experience. You've got to have the right references. You've got to achieve it all. And before I get to the solution, I want to take a brief look at what happens if achievements do rule your heart. Because I've lived this myself not so long ago. There isn't time to go into the full story. But I do want to take a brief look in the gospel reading at verses 4 and 5 at one man who may not be ruled by his achievements, but has the attitude that comes when achievements rule your heart. I'll read it for you to refresh it for you. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now the achievement-centered heart must prop itself up by judging other people. 
When Judas says this, I imagine him in the corner of the room. Everyone's enjoying themselves at the table. Maybe it's a bit dark. He's off by himself, maybe with one of the other disciples. And he leans over his shoulder and goes, Hey, Matthew, look at what that woman is doing. What an incredible waste. That money could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, if you think about it that way, this isn't just some sort of offhanded comment. This is a judgmental, pharisaical comment. You see, the achievement-centered heart has to prop itself up by judging other people. And I've lived this myself, as I said, when achievements rule your heart, when you think you're better than everyone else, you go around and look down your nose and judge other people. To my shame, this was me. And further, achievement-centered living is a form of slavery. It's bondage because you've never achieved enough to be safe. You can never achieve enough to be fully satisfied. You always have to get more. And as I look around our culture, I see a culture that is enslaved, not only to the achievements that they have, but to getting more and more achievements. And I see a culture that is decaying under the weight of bondage to achievements. You know, we say we're a free society, and for sure, we have tremendous freedom here, no question. But I also see a society that is in bondage. Now, achievements don't have to do this to you. You can live another way. Remember, I had my dream resume in my 20s. Paul had his dream resume in the start of our reading. But something happened to Paul. And now Paul is different. What happened to him? What makes him so different? How can he look at the dream resume, his wonderful achievements, and say what he says? Well, let's take a look at it now. This is in verse 8 of the reading from Philippians. I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, the thing is, Paul met Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, it radically alters your life. It changes how you view the rest of your life. Paul's experience meeting Jesus on that road, suddenly all his past achievements looked a lot different. And it's not that they don't matter at all. These things can be good things. But compared with the living, resurrected, all-powerful Jesus that Paul met, achievements aren't much to look at. Look back at what the Collect for the Day said. Most merciful God, by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you created humanity anew. May the power of his victorious cross transform those who turn in faith to him. Jesus met Paul. Paul responded in faith to him. And as a result, all of his past achievements, they mean a heck of a lot less. And Paul now lives in freedom from bondage to achievements, living only in service to his Lord, Jesus Christ. And this is my solution for you today. The solution to achievement-centered living is Jesus-centered living. Love for Christ and living for Christ is the only way to put achievement-oriented living to death. Something has to rule in your heart. Something has to take top spot. If it's not achievements, it'll be something else. 
But for the purpose of this message this morning, when achievements rule your heart, it can turn you into a Judas, someone who has to look down their nose and judge other people. But when your life is centered on Jesus, you lose that reason to be judgmental, proud, or arrogant. Because you see, only Jesus can rightly sit on the throne of our hearts and in the center of our lives. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30 says this, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary this morning? Is Jesus sitting in your heart? Or is it your achievements? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, when Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, it's the right fit. He's not saying that discipleship to him will be easy, or that when you become his disciple, everything's going to be peachy great now. But it's that it fits right. Achievement-centered living is like a bottomless pit. No amount of success can bring lasting peace, happiness, or security. You could say that achievements are like a mirage. We think when we get them, we'll be happy. But if we are happy, it's not for very long. It's a heavy, burdensome yoke to keep trying to get more and more success, achieving greater and greater things. You become a slave to your achievements. Jesus-centered living turns us into a merry Mary in our reading is marked by humility, servanthood, laying out our treasures at the feet of our king. This is my conclusion for you right here. If you fell asleep, now's the perfect time to wake up. This is my conclusion. Jesus achieved everything you need through his life, death, and resurrection. Now you don't have to achieve anything. Jesus achieved everything on your behalf. For someone like me, that means I don't have to worry about climbing the corporate ladder or finding a job that makes big money or getting a great promotion or finding the perfect spouse or living in the perfect part of the world. I don't have to achieve these things. If I do, that's great and they're good. But Jesus frees me from bondage to those things. If you're maybe a little older, it frees you from having to keep on achieving to feel worthy. Maybe God's calling you to take it a little easier now, to rest, to retire, to pass the reins off to someone else. And you can still feel completely secure because your worth is not in what you achieve. But no matter where you are in life, you can experience the freedom that comes from knowing Christ Jesus and making his greatest achievement your greatest achievement. And for that, I say thanks be to God. Amen.